Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Gary Kent. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is coming soon. And I don't just believe that because I'm an Adventist. What, what does an Adventist mean? An Adventist is someone who what? Who believes in the Advent that Jesus is coming back again. I, I want to tell you today why I believe that Jesus is coming soon. Because there are things happening in our world that I believe are vitally important. Things are happening that I believe are sharing a message with us. They are signs that tell us where we are living in the stream of time. And talking about time, 71 years ago, this month, now just think of that, 71 years ago, and some of you here might even remember this, 71 years ago, World War II was coming to an end, and there was a there was a there was an atmosphere of euphoria as uh, it seemed that the war was all but won, and the Americans were advancing from from the west, and the Russians were advancing from the east, and Nazi Germany appeared to be in its death throes. The war was over, yet all hopes for peace were dashed on a Sabbath morning. A Sabbath morning in an instant on December 16, 1944. Because you see, friends, at precisely 5 a.m. that day, precisely 5 a.m., a quarter of a million German troops supported by nearly 800 armored vehicles and nearly 2,000 heavy guns tore in to the American lines. What was going on? The war was supposed to be over. And this German offensive caught the Allies completely by surprise. Completely by surprise. Now listen, friends. It was the costliest action, the costliest action ever fought by the U.S. Army. Why? Friends, because 100,000 American soldiers. Remember, the war was supposed to be over. 100,000 American soldiers were killed, wounded, or went missing. And what became known as the Battle of the Bulge. And today, the Battle of the Bulge, this particular war... This particular offensive stands as one of history's most famous surprise attacks. But here's the fact, friends. Here's the real surprise. The Americans should never, ever have been caught by surprise. Never, ever been caught by surprise. Why? Because of this man, Irving Davidoff. He had warned the Americans. He had told them that this was going to happen. You see, David, uh, uh, this, this guy, uh, uh, Irving Davidoff, because of his high IQ, 
and the ability to speak fluent German, he was given a very special responsibility by the American army. He was one of the leading intelligence officers. And he took his job very, very seriously. Very seriously. And every day he would send a report to the high command. And he gathered his information on the movement of the German troops by using aerial photography. Oops. Aerial photography. And so every morning he would hand the generals the latest movement of the German troops. Now imagine moving a hundred thousand German troops with all that heavy machinery, guns, and so forth. Of course he knew what was going to happen. And weeks before the attack, he used this aerial photography to share with the generals what was going to happen, what the Germans were planning, that they were moving massive amount of troops to the front line there at, the, at what became known as the, the Battle of the Bulge. But you know, friends, although he provided evidence and he showed all the signs, he had the information right there, and he gave them the warning, his warnings were ignored. Because, you see, the generals had become complacent. The war's over. We don't need to worry about anything anymore. And because they became complacent and comfortable in the situation, they didn't pay any attention to the warning signs. And friends, if only, if only the American military leaders had listened and paid attention to the signs and the warnings before the Battle of the Bulge, then uh, all those lives could have been saved. But his warnings and all the signs were ignored. And as a result, friends, thousands of lives were lost. Now, you know, when I thought about, when I was reading this story about the Battle of the Bulge and how this happened, when you think about it, most of us are a bit like the U.S. High Command at the Battle of the Bulge. You see, friends, there are important events taking place, important, vitally important signs taking place in our world. And many people today are simply choosing to ignore the signs. And that's why I want to share with us today some of the, the things that are taking place in our world because I believe that they have a message. I believe that you and I are watching prophecy unfold. And these signs are important. You know, the, the disciples themselves were interested in these signs. And sitting on the Mount of Olives, they came to Jesus and they said to, they said to Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, they said, Jesus... Tell us, what will be, when will this happen, and what will be the what? The sign of your coming Adventists and the end of the world or the end of the age. And then Jesus makes two very important points. I want you to notice what Jesus says. Here as he continues, as he responds to this question. Notice what he says. He says, but of that day and hour, how many people know? 
No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So the first thing Jesus says, the first point he makes when he's speaking to his disciples, he said, listen, nobody knows the day or the hour of my return of Christ coming. So there's the first point. Then Jesus says something else. Now listen here. We read it in our scripture reading. Now when you see these things begin to happen, then look up, And lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. When you see these things happening, know what, friends? Know what? When we see these signs being fulfilled, what are we to know? The kingdom of God is near. So here are the two points that Jesus makes. First, nobody knows the day or the hour of Christ's coming. And secondly, Jesus says, but... There are going to be special signs that are going to be fulfilled. And when you see these things happening, then you know, my coming is near. My friends, Jesus then provided a timetable of events. A timetable of events, special signs that indicate when his coming is near and the end of the world, when when that is near. And my friends, the Bible, this book that we hold so dear. By the way, have you been following American politics recently? CNN, my sister lives in Atlanta in Georgia. She phoned me yesterday and she said, Hey Gary, I'm sending you a report from CNN uh, about Ben Carson. And uh, they've given a bit of background about Ben, but more importantly, there's a report there on who Seventh-day Adventists are, because in America, as here in this country, isn't that sad? Most people have never heard of us. I'm not sure whose fault that is. Anyway, one of the, in, this, in, this, in this article, talking about Seventh-day Adventists, by the way, it was a pretty balanced article, I thought, and, and, uh, and presented... I think, a balanced view of of who we are. But one of the things that they mentioned was that that they they come from Protestant heritage and they base all their beliefs on, on the Bible. On the Bible. So, friends, as we look at what is taking place around us, we need to see it in the light of what Jesus told us, what's written down in this book. We need to continue to be people of this book. We need to spend time reading it. We need to be familiar with with what is taking place around us because, friends, the Bible, this book, the Bible, is as helpful on our journey through life as a train timetable is for a traveler by train. And, friends, by consulting this schedule, you and I can know where we are living in the stream of time and just how close we are to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We can know. So the disciples come to Jesus there in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, and they say, Jesus, tell us, tell us when this will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world. And then Jesus goes ahead and he lists a series of signs. He gave them an outline of future events that would indicate the nearness of his coming. And so in Matthew chapter 24, in this, pa- this uh, chapter that we as Adventists know so well, Jesus lists signs in four different categories or areas. First, he gives signs in the religious world. Then he gives signs in the political world. Then he gives signs in the natural world. And finally, he gives signs in the social world. 
I wish I had time to go into this in more detail, but let me just touch on a few things. Notice first the signs that Jesus gives in the religious world. Now, friends, three times in this chapter. Now, imagine this. Imagine I'm sharing some information with you this morning. And I mention the same thing three times. I mention it once, I mention it twice, and I mention it three times. What are you going to say? Man, he must think that that's pretty important. Isn't that right? So three times Jesus says this. He says, he warns against false Christs and false prophets. Three times in this chapter. Listen to what he says. Here's one of them. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great what? Signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, who? The very elect. God's people. So, friends, Jesus three times mentions this. Why? Because it's important. He knows what's going to happen in the last days of earth's history. He knows. Now, Jesus says that the last days will be characterized by voices coming from the, the religious world saying, follow me, look, I've got the truth. We are one of the few people who believe that this is where you discover truth. People today, right here in the eastern suburbs, Bondi Junction, I guarantee if you went to people and said, I, I want to know what's going to happen, I want to know the truth, very few would say, well, go to the Bible then. They would come up with all sorts of, well, go and see this or read that. Friends, that's the, that's the era that we live in. Now, if you see me jumping up and down a bit this morning, don't panic. I'll tell you why. Because I've had instructions from the church elder that I can preach until five people fall asleep. So I'm going to keep you awake, if I possibly can, because I've got some important things I want to share with you today. All right, so Jesus said, look out. He said, many people will claim divine light. He said, they will claim prophetic powers. And they'll even claim to be Jesus himself. Friends, many people are going to be deceived. Now, you might say, but uh, hold on, Gary. Do you know where you are? You're in one of the most sophisticated modern cities in the world with a high level of education. We're not going to be fooled by cult groups, the New Age movement or occult and, and spiritism, but this is what Jesus was referring to. Friends, let me just share with you the fact that the occult, let me just touch on one of these things, the occult and spiritism. I was speaking to some people recently about this and they said to me, hey Gary, I know you grew up in Africa, but here in Australia, people deceived by the occult and spiritualism, what are you thinking? This is Sydney. was actually in Melbourne. This is Melbourne. We're sophisticated here. And then he got a little barb and he said, look, maybe up in Sydney, but not here in Melbourne. We're more sophisticated and cultured than that. Friends, let me just share with you what is happening right here in downtown Sydney in the eastern suburbs and what is coming into our lounge rooms on a regular basis. These are the programs we love on our television. Charmed, Ghost Whisperer, Ring a Bell, Smallville, The Vampire Diaries, Supernatural Bones, X-Files. Friends, this is what we're watching in sophisticated downtown Sydney. Now you might say, well, well, okay, 
Let me, check, let me share with you the movies that we are watching. Harry Potter. Friends, people think, I say to people, do you know what your kids are reading? Oh, it's just, uh, we all know. Listen, friends, it's a story, one of the most popular publications in the history of mankind. What is it about? Oh, it's just for kids, it's, it's, it's harmless. Listen, friends, it's all about witches and wizards. Isn't that true? And let me tell you the impact that it's having on our children. Our children don't know the difference between Jesus Christ, Santa Claus, and red the, uh, uh, the red-nosed reindeer. Why? Because they are confused about what is fiction and what is fact. Isn't that true? They don't know the difference. They read all this stuff. These are the movies that we take our children to. Harry Potter, Twilight, Ghost, City of Angels, The Sixth Sense, Meet Joe Black, I Am Legend, Avatars. These are all movies that are soaked with spiritism and the occult. And they are some of the most popular movies that have ever been made. The biggest names in the movie industry feature in these movies. Isn't that right? Friends. Jesus said that this is the very thing that's going to happen. Let me, let me tell you this. A generation ago, that could never, ever happen. There would have been an uprising by the general population that said, we don't want our children influenced and impacted by witches and wizards and the occult. Isn't that right? So Jesus said there would be signs in the religious world. Then he said there would be signs in the political world. I'm going to rush through this. Notice what Jesus says. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, friends, there have always been wars on this planet since the first kids, Cain and Abel. Isn't that right? There have been, there have been wars here. But what Jesus is talking about here is trends. You will see these things growing, developing. This is what you will see, a movement, a growth, a trend. And when you see these things happening, wake up. Because they mean something. And so Jesus spoke about this. Now, friends, let me just say this in the last century. Now, you might say, well, that's a long time. Listen, friends, in the scope of eternity, a hundred years is like that. It's nothing. It's like a breath. In the last hundred years, this last century, we've seen two world wars and an average of 30 wars every year. 800,000 million is spent on military each year. Wouldn't you think that we'd have better things to spend our money on? But friends, that's how we're spending our money. We are spending our money on finding most, more effective and efficient ways to kill people. That's what Jesus said is going to happen. Listen to this. The world's nuclear arsenal is equal in destructive power to four tons of TNT for every person on the planet. Does that make sense? I mean, how much does it take? You know, there's enough nuclear weapons to destroy every person on earth 150 times. Is that necessary? But friends, Jesus said, you will see a trend. There'll be talk about war, etc., etc. So Jesus gave signs in the, in the political world, and then he gave signs in the natural world. Now, I'm going to whip through these pretty quickly. There will be, and he mentioned three in the natural world, famines, pestilences, and, and earthquakes. He mentions them there, earthquakes in various places. So there he mentions those three things, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. Just a little while ago, a month and a half ago, I was in Christchurch. 
Now, friends, I don't have to remind the people of Christchurch about earthquakes. This is, this is in our backyard. We are, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to make the point, friends, things are happening and we need to be aware of the implications. Let me take, let me take uh, famines, for example. Now, if we can spend 800,000 million on weapons each year, don't you think we could spend enough money to ensure that nobody goes to bed hungry at night on our planet? I mean, it should be, it should be a straightforward thing, shouldn't it? Wouldn't you expect? I mean, surely we should be investing in life and the preservation of life rather than killing people, shouldn't we? Let me share with you just a few bits of information, a few facts about famines. 40 countries are facing food shortages today due to famine. 40 countries in our world. Just think about that. One billion people are chronically hungry in our world. A billion people in this day and age. Nine million people die of hunger each year. In our sophisticated world. Friends, if I take the time to tell you how much food we waste in this country, you would be horrified. You would be horrified. Yet people are starving. 25,000 people die of hunger each day. What did Jesus say in our modern sophisticated age that this is exactly what would happen? Then Jesus said there would be signs in the social world. All right? So we've seen the religious, political, natural. Notice what Jesus said. He said, the last days will be similar to two other periods or societies in history. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the... So he specifies, he said, look, here you have the history of the world. You have the time of Noah. He goes on and he says, as it was also in the days of Lot, even so will it be in the days when the Son of Man is revealed. So he mentions these two periods. He says, listen, have a look at what happens in Lot's day and have a look at what happened in Noah's day before that. And then when you see the same conditions and situations developing, then you'll know, hold on, this is where we are living in the stream of time. Jesus is coming soon. So what was it like in Noah's day? I just put in, look, look what it says here. Now it came to pass when men began to what? To multiply on the face of the earth that they took what? Wives, took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now guys, you might think that sounds pretty good. But let me tell you, it's a disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. You know, people think, man, if I think I could be like King Solomon. A thousand wives. Listen, friends, God knew how many wives we as men need. Anyway, but you notice what happens here. There are two things implied regarding Noah. Man multiplied on the face of the earth, and they took for themselves all the the wives they want. Want a new wife? Yeah, divorce, get a new one. So two things are implied here. Population growth, man multiplied on the earth. And secondly, divorce, devaluation. They took wives for all they chose. Got a fancy? Take a wife. Get rid of the one you got, get a new one. Friends, just think about these two issues 
today. Let me, let me show you. Remember, we're talking about trends. So let me, let me share with you population growth trends. From the time of Christ, it took 1,800 years, or the history of the earth, to reach our first billion people, all right? It took 1,800 years from the time of Christ before we had a billion people on this planet. The second billion took not 1,800 years, but 130 years. The third billion, 1960, took just 30 years. The fourth billion in 1974, just 14 years. And you can see there, the next billion, 5, 13 years. Now we're producing a billion people every 12 years. As it was in the days of Noah. Now I heard... I heard our Sabbath school teacher this morning saying that according to the facts and figures, there could have been many more billion people in Noah's day. In Noah's day. But the point is this, friends, that we are seeing a population explosion today. And it's one of the things that the Lord said would happen. That you'll see people multiplying on the earth. Then what was the other thing he spoke about? Marrying and remarrying, divorce and suffering. Let me share with you some facts regarding divorce. In 1870, there was one divorce for every 34 marriages. In uh, 1900, there was one divorce for every 12 marriages. In 1930, one divorce for every six marriages. 2015, one divorce for every two marriages. Friends, let me ask you again. Do we see a trend here? Is there a trend here that we can see? Remember what Jesus says? As it was in the days of Noah. Have a look at what happened in the days of Noah. Jesus is saying. And he says, when you see that happening, then look out because you know your redemption draws nigh. Jesus is coming soon. Friends, the evidence is there. But what does it mean to us? What does it mean to us? Do we realize the significance of the things that we see taking place around us or are we like the generals who say, ah, things are going great. I just got a rise at pay, a pay rise at work. I mean, I got a new car. I got a new watch. Friends, we need to recognize what is happening in our world. Then Jesus says, as it was in the days of Lot, who lived in Sodom. I'm not going to get into this. I'm just going to, I'm just telling you, friends, look at the trends that are taking place. I'm not going to get into the rights and wrongs, the do's or don'ts or whatever. I'm just saying, look at what's happening. What was Sodom known for? Sodom and Gomorrah committed sexual sins and pursued homosexual activities. Now, all I want to say is this. Watch this space over the next 12 months. Our society, whether you believe right or wrong, I'm not, I'm not making any comment on that. I'm simply saying, Watch the trends that are taking place in our society. Listen, friends, this could never have happened. What we are seeing today happening around the world could never have happened a generation ago. We are seeing a change in the society, in the values, the principles of the, the communities we live in. So Jesus said, when you see what happened in Noah's day taking place, when you see what happened in Lot's day taking place, then what? Lift up your heads. Know that I'm coming soon. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 24, he said, study the prophecies of Daniel. 
because you're going to find things there that are going to help you understand where you're living in the stream of time. Now, Daniel is the great book of prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's another book that specializes in prophecy. Which book is it? Revelation. Now, I'm just going to touch. I mentioned American politics recently. I'm just going to touch on this. One prophecy. Revelation chapter 13. You know, you Adventists, if you don't know about Revelation chapter 13... I was going to say shame on you. But for all of us, we need, to, we, we need to be familiar with what is happening and what it means. So in Revelation chapter 13, this passage describes two beasts or powers that are going to dominate world affairs as we come down to the closing stages of Earth's history. Everybody with me on this? So the first beast that rises out of the sea, we refer to it as the sea beast. And we know from our study of prophecies, right from the, 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 the earliest times, the great Protestant reformers, Martin Luther, John Knox, etc., etc., Zwingli, they all believed that this power referred to Rome or the papacy. Then there was a second beast. It arose out of the earth. Not the sea, but the earth. This is the land beast of Revelation chapter 30. And we as Adventists know and understand that this beast or power, because that's what beasts are in Bible prophecy, they refer to powers, kingdoms, refers to the United States of America. Now friends, this prophecy make some absolutely amazing predictions. Three main predictions about these two powers. Alright, the first is, the papacy will have its former worldwide power and prestige restored. You know, friends, there was a time when the papacy was the most powerful nation, kingdom on earth. We know it received a deadly wound. God says, and people said, well, that's the end of the papacy. God said, no, no, no. It's going to come to the fore again and it's going to play a major role in world affairs. So, friends, let's notice the second thing. The Lord said, through prophecy, that the United States of America will become a major superpower, the superpower in world affairs. And then comes the third prediction, which is almost unbelievable. The third prediction that Revelation chapter 13 makes is that these two powers, the papacy in the United States of America, are going to form an alliance. Now let me just remind you that according to the American Constitution, that is impossible. Why? Let me tell you why. Because two centuries ago, three centuries ago, do you know that it was a... the death penalty could be enforced if you read this book. And so there were people living in Europe who said, hey, we want to base our religion on our conscience and on the Word of God, what the Word of God tells us to believe. And so they said, we're not going to put up with this pontiff telling us what we can believe and can't believe and persecuting us for believing the Bible. So they said, let's get in a boat and look for some other place to live. So they got in their boat, the Mayflower, and they sailed across the Atlantic to the United States of America. And you know what they said? We're going to start a new country here, and there's not going to be a pontiff telling us what we can believe and not believe. And we are so firm on this, we don't want a pontiff, and we don't want a king. 
We want a democracy. And we, we are so determined that we are going to enshrine these two principles, these two values, in our constitution so that we will never be put in this predicament again. And so into the American constitution, the fundamental principles of the constitution of the United States is the separation of church and state. Because back in Europe in the 1650s, 1600s, the state used to enforce the religious beliefs of the papacy, of the church of the day, the medieval church. And they said, we're never going to have that again. We're going to have a complete separation of church and state. So this idea of an alliance between the United States of America and the papacy, it's forbidden by the Constitution. It could never, ever happen. So what's the Bible talking about here? The Bible says when you see these things happening, then what? Lift up your heads. So friends, let's notice what happened. How could America ever form a close alliance with a papacy? Remember we're talking about trends here. Let me go back just over 100 years, 1908. 1908. The Roman Catholic Church in North America, listen to this, was a mission project. They didn't even have enough money to grow their own church. It was a mission project. They had to get money from outside. That was 1908. Now, in 1939, because it was forbidden by the Constitution for the government to have diplomatic ties in, form of, in, in terms of an ambassador with a papacy. It was forbidden. In 1939, America sent not its ambassador, but a representative. Couldn't send an ambassador. It was against the Constitution. So they sent their representative. Now, friends, remember we're talking about trends here, all right? So that's 1939. 1979, unheard of. For the first time in human history, America. I mean, remember they'd left to get away from him. They wanted nothing to do with him. And now they were inviting him, the government was inviting for the first time in human history a Pope to the United States of America. And everybody said, whoa, what sort of a welcome are they going to give the Pope? What sort of a welcome is this John Paul II, this Polish Pope, what sort of a welcome is he going to get? Could it happen? They said, could the Pope capture the hearts and minds of the people of the United States? These people who said, we want nothing more to do with you. Get away. We're getting in our boat and we're going to live over here and stay away from us. Now he's coming to America. How are they going to welcome him? Listen, friends. The seven-day visit of Pope John Paul II to the United States of America in October 1979 proved the greatest media event of all time. Imagine that. Receiving wider coverage than any other event in history. Time magazine. Now, you know Time magazine is a secular news, news, weekly news magazine. How did Time magazine? They just shared the facts. Time magazine puts on his cover John Paul who? Superstar? Let me tell you what that's a play on. You know the musical, Jesus Christ? John Paul, superstar. Bigger than Jesus. That's what they say. Interesting, isn't it? Let me read you. Pope John Paul II drew the largest single crowds in the history 
in the history of the United States of America. This was the guy they'd left behind. We don't want you. Stay away from us. Now he's the most popular guy in the history of America. Let me read to you from Time magazine. As he led his triumphant seven-day journey of joy through the U.S., Pope John Paul confirmed what earlier tours of Mexico and Poland had intimated. After only one year in office, the pontiff is emerging as the kind of incandescent leader who hungers for. The world. This is the guy the world want now. What did God say the power of the papacy would be restored to its original position of strength? Friends, let me go on. 1984, remember we're watching the trends here. We started in 1908, remember? The the Roman Catholic Church in America is a mission project. 1939, we have the the first representative. 1979, the Pope comes to America for the first time. 1984, no longer a representative goes to the papacy, but a fully fledged ambassador. You notice the trend? You see what's happening here, friends? And you know, when they sent that first ambassador to the Vatican, there wasn't one squeak out of Congress, even though it went against their own constitution. Nobody uttered a word. Why? Because we love the Pope. We love him. We want an ambassador there. Now, friends, think about this. An alliance, remember the third point? An alliance between America and the papacy. Would you not just think of this for a moment? The world's most powerful military machine with the world's most powerful economy and the world's most powerful religious organization. That is what you call an alliance. That's what you call an alliance. But the Constitution forbade it. But remember what you and I saw. Could such an alliance be possible? Remember this. It's not so long ago that we sat transfixed to our television screens as we watched the Iron Curtain come down. Isn't that right? I mean, for all my life, there have been two great superpowers. There had been the capitalist world championed by the USA. Isn't that right? And then there was the communist world championed by the USSR. So here we had these two empires. Friends, for the first time in human history, a world empire collapsed in a matter of months. And you and I watched as the Berlin Wall came down. I can remember seeing students and young people with their hammer and and, and whatever, knocking blocks out out of the Berlin Wall. You know, I was so fascinated, I went and got a piece for myself. I have a piece of the Berlin Wall. You know, we we watched that come down and we thought, how on earth has this happened? It happens by surprise. It happened overnight. We watched the Berlin Wall collapse. The wall was destroyed. We saw the collapse of the Soviet Union, the collapse of communism. We saw a new world order and the map of the world had to be redrawn, didn't it? It had to be redrawn. But the question is, how did it happen? How on earth did this take place? Well, friends, the answer is found in the February 22, 1992 issue of Time magazine. Do you notice the headlines of Time magazine? Now, remember again, this is not a religious magazine. This is a news magazine. 
It's sharing news with us. Notice what it says. How Reagan and the Pope, Reagan, the United States President, Pope John Paul II, conspired to assist Poland's solidarity movement and hasten the demise of communism an investigative report. And there it says, Reagan and the Pope agreed to undertake a clandestine campaign to hasten the dissolution of the communist empire. And there it's got the pictures of the meeting in the White House and then in the Vatican, how they conspired and they drew up this alliance, this plan to destroy communism, to bring about the demise of communism. And so we see them here as they, as they develop this alliance. And this is what Time Magazine ends its article. It says, this is one of the great, what? Secret alliances of all time. It was no secret to people who studied this book. Because this is exactly what God in His Word predicted 2,000 years ago. No, friends, it's not a secret alliance to the, to the students of Bible prophecy. Nearly 2,000 years ago, prophecy predicted that these very two powers would form an alliance, a secret alliance, a holy alliance, the very title that Time Editors chose for their investigative report. Friends, do you see the trend? And it's not over. That was back in 1992. This is what it says in the May. Step by reluctant step, the Soviet Communist government of Poland bowed to the moral, economic, and political pressure imposed by who? The Pope and the President. And then remember when John Paul II died? Listen, friends. That funeral was the largest funeral in the history of mankind. And you notice, for the first time in history, an American president attended the funeral of a pope. George Bush. George W. Bush. But when he went to that funeral, he was not alone. Accompanying him were the two past presidents. See them there? George Bush Sr. So there you've got George. George Bush Sr. And? And Bill Clinton. And this is what the headline said at the time. World leaders kneel in homage to the Pope. The biggest funeral in the history of mankind. Friends, I'm simply asking you this. Do you see a trend here? Do you see a trend here? This close alliance and working relationship has continued. This alliance has been developed, it's been strengthened until even this September. Now we are right up to date, aren't we? Right up to date. Listen, this is the, the then, he's no longer the spokesman, the, uh, the head of the, the House of Representatives, the Congress. He says, It is my great privilege to announce that Pope Francis, the present Pope, will visit the United States Capitol on September 24, 2015. So how long is that ago? A month and a bit? A month and a bit? On that day, he will become the first Pope to address a joint meeting of Congress. We are truly grateful that Pope Francis has accepted our invitation. This is what Time Magazine said. Pope Francis to address the U.S. Congress. He'll be the first Pope ever to do so. Pope Francis will become the first leader of the Catholic Church to address the United States Congress, forbidden by their own constitution. House Speaker John Boner stated, now listen to this, this is what the Speaker of the House says, a so-called Protestant. In a time of global upheaval, the Holy Father's message of compassion and human dignity has moved people of what? All faiths and backgrounds. 
Here is the champion of the spiritual world. Friends, six weeks ago, you and I saw the latest installment of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You and I are watching prophecy unfold. It's happening before our very eyes. The question is this, what does it mean? What does it mean to us? Nearly 2,000 years ago, Bible prophecy predicted that the papacy's power and prestige would be restored and that it would form an alliance with the United States of America. My friends, you and I are watching prophecy unfold. The signs are being fulfilled. Remember the battle? World War II, the Battle of the Bulge? Remember what happened there? The warning signs were ignored with tragic results. Friends, you and I are watching the final grains of sand falling through the hourglass. So what should we do? You know, I met a guy who came and spoke to me about this. He said, Gary, I'm getting out of the city. I'm going to go and build a house with a bomb shelter out in the country and I'm going to fill it with supplies so that I'm fully self-sufficient. So, because he said, I can see what's happening. So friends, what should you and I be doing? Well, let me say this. This is not a time for hysteria and sensationalism. There's not a time for that. This is not a time for anxiety and fear-mongering. So don't rush home and bury your head under your pillow. There's not a time for that. This is not a time for conspiracy theories. So what should we do then? What should we do, my friends? This is a time for strengthening our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a time for doing that. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say this is a time for strengthening our relationship with Jesus Christ? This is a time to be getting closer to Jesus. Why? Well, here's why, friends. As soon as Jesus had finished outlining the signs that would indicate that his coming is near. You know what he did next? The very next thing, after outlining all the signs, he told a story. He told a story. You can read that story in Matthew chapter 25. It's the story of ten young ladies. Ten young ladies who went to what? Who went to a wedding feast. Now, friends, let me ask you this, because this is where it comes home. In Bible prophecy, what does a lady represent? The church. Who's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the church, isn't he? Remember, these are, these are people who know, they know, they, 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 they know the bridegroom, don't they? They've accepted the invitation to the wedding, haven't they? My friends, these are Christians. These are Adventist Christians who've accepted the, accepted the bridegroom and they've accepted his invitation to come to the wedding and they are preparing to go to the wedding. They're preparing for the bridegroom to come. They're invited to the wedding feast. All ten accepted the invitation, didn't they? Friends, there's a message here for us. These are Adventists. These are Adventists waiting for the bridegroom to come. They've all accepted the invitation. They're getting ready. They're waiting. But when the bridegroom comes, how many are ready? Isn't that frightening? Isn't that frightening? 
So according to the story, how shall I divide Willara Church? I'm just saying, friends, listen. This is a message to my heart and to your heart. This is a time not for fear-mongering and anxiety and getting hysterical. It's a time to come to know Jesus. This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org. That's Wallara, W-O-O-L-L-A-H-R-A, church.org. Hello, I'm Dr. Kylie Smith. I'm an environmental educator. Thank you for joining me for part two, where we are looking briefly at the role of environmental factors in heart health. In part one, we looked at God's ideal in the creation story recorded in Genesis one and two. We saw how natural environments help to reduce distress or in other words, negative stress. So we read a quote from one of my favorite authors who said that it's restful to eye and mind to range over the scenes of nature. We saw how scientific evidence today is showing that scenes in nature can have therapeutic benefits, they can elicit positive emotions and do many things to reduce distress. Unfortunately though, the artificiality of the spaces in which we live has dramatically increased over the past several centuries from approximately 1750 when the Industrial Revolution began. And in highly artificial environments, we not only lose the benefits of our contact with nature, but these things that promote health are often replaced by things that actively harm health. Again, from the same author, Written in 1905, I quote, The noise and excitement and confusion of the cities, their constrained and artificial life are most wearisome and exhausting. The air laden with smoke and dust, with poisonous gases and with germs of disease is a peril to life. So let's have a look at some of these pollutants that can cause problems. And as I said, this quote was written in 1905. So since 1905, there are obviously a lot more pollutants in our environment now than what there were then. We're just going to look at one example, particulate matter. So we're looking at environmental factors in heart health. And we hear today a lot about cholesterol. Now, while diet-associated cholesterol is a risk factor for heart disease and stroke, a review published in the Journal of Thoracic Disease in 2016 reached the conclusion that air pollution is now becoming an independent risk factor for cardiovascular illness and deaths. This review that was published in the Journal of Thoracic Disease looked at a number of different studies and it concluded in part that many studies of various types suggest that particulate matter in air pollution is strongly associated with increased cardiovascular disease, such as risk of heart attacks, irregular heartbeat, blood clots or blood vessel blockages leading to stroke, 
blood vessel dysfunction, high blood pressure, and build up of fatty materials in blood vessels, or in other words, atherosclerosis. Particulate matter can contribute to cardiovascular disease either directly because of the toxins it contains or indirectly as it can physically injure body tissues, which increases inflammation. So the signs of inflammation are redness, heat and swelling, also that causes pain. Uh, particulate matter can also lead to increased harmful free radicals in the body. And when there are more free radicals present than can be kept in balance by the antioxidants, the free radicals can start doing damage to fatty tissue, DNA and proteins in our bodies. And so they can contribute amongst other things to atherosclerosis. Where do these pollutants come from? Well, there are multiple sources. Uh, probably the biggest source is various forms of combustion. So, of course, wood and products from trees can produce these pollutants. And so in late 2019 to early 2020, we've had terrible fires in Eastern Australia and the smoke from these bushfires reached unprecedented levels. And this resulted in increased particulate matter and other pollutants in the air. And during this time, the air pollution levels in Sydney, Port Macquarie and other places reached hazardous levels. And for a number of days, many days, they were the worst in the world. Significantly higher than other places well known for their air pollution, such as um, Beijing and Delhi. Okay, so it comes from combustion, from wood, from fires and things like that. Also the production and burning of fossil fuels, which is obviously an ongoing thing. And so for instance, in the Hunter Valley, the production and burning of fossil fuels has been linked to increased rates of cancer, heart, lung, liver and kidney disease, as well as birth defects throughout the region. Also, in order to um, make space to create mines and things like that, what we often do is to remove the vegetation. And when we do that, that means that we have a loss of what we call ecosystem services. Ecosystem services are services provided by nature, such as the purification of air and water. And so because there is less vegetation to remove pollutants, the levels of pollutants obviously will be higher. So there are pollutants in the environment today and um, these things have a negative impact on heart health. The other aspect of heart health that we've looked at is distress. And artificial environments have been linked to distress. And so some examples of these are noise and the vibrations of machinery. Also, damage to or loss of natural environments can lead to a disease that has been called solastalgia. And this is described as the distress that is produced by environmental change impacting on people while they are directly connected to their home environment. So it's the distress of people as they see the environment in which they've been being destroyed, basically. And an example of this comes again from the hunter, from the upper hunter. So persistent drought and large scale open cut mining in the upper hunter were both linked to solastalgia in a study published in Australian Psychiatry in 2009. 
So from these we see that scientific evidence has clearly shown how displacement of species from their habitats has an adverse impact on their quality of life and development. So we've just looked briefly at some of the pollutants in the environment, also at artificial environments and distress. It's so sad to see these things. We can see from the biblical model of creation that we were designed to live in nature. And today, these green spaces in which we were designed to live are rapidly diminishing. We need to treasure and cultivate what still remains. How can we do this? I just want to mention three points today. The first point is to think about our reason for caring for the environment. I believe the first point in this is we need to recognize God's ownership. In Psalm chapter 24 verse 1 it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so God has created the world. It still belongs to him, but he has entrusted to us a great responsibility. He has entrusted to us a responsibility of being stewards and taking good care of the earth. So when we think about God's great love for us and what he has done for us, I think that can motivate us to see how important it is to care for things that he's made that show what he is like and that are important to him. So then, from this first point, in thinking about how we recognise God's ownership, then the next point is naturally follows from that, which is to follow God's plan. And the law of Ten Commandments, which can be summarised as taking to give, is really the law of life for the universe. And we're seeing that much of the environmental destruction in the world today is due to greed. It's due to neglect of God's law and neglect of understanding of God's character and how he has planned for us to care for the environment. When we follow God's plan, that can help to care for the environment. And then the third point is, which is connected really to the second one, is to look for God's laws in nature and use these to manage our environment. So for instance, today we're violating many of the boundaries that God has placed in nature for our protection. Levels of greenhouse gases, chemicals, disruption of the nitrogen cycle and so forth are global factors in environmental degradation. By doing things like reducing use of pesticides, choosing sustainable products and so forth, we can work to preserve God's creation. So God has entrusted the earth to our care. Let's strive to be responsible stewards and show the blessings of obedience to his ways. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.